All right, we are in, uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark again, but we are all the way forward into chapter 9 tonight because this is uh, what is called Transfiguration Sunday, uh, which happens once a year. And so we're in the Transfiguration story from the Gospel of Mark, and we'll zip back towards where we were uh, in the coming weeks. But Mark 9, verses 2 through 10, and uh, let's go ahead and read the Scripture, and then we'll talk a little bit about this, uh, this weird little story that we find uh, in, in, uh, in the Gospels. It says this uh, in verse 2, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one, about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what is the rise, what rise, what it is, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us, thanks be to God. So again, this is Transfiguration Sunday, right? This strange scene uh, has become so central to the church that it has its own Sunday every year. Uh, and in the book of Mark, it kind of plays a particular role as too. The book of Mark basically has kind of three tent posts uh, of Jesus' identity that happen throughout the gospel that kind of hold Jesus' identity up for everything else. First, there's the baptism, where Jesus is baptized and a voice comes from heaven speaking to Jesus. You are my son, right? And then here, the transfiguration, where before these three disciples... Uh, this magical kind of event happens, a cloud envelops them, and the same voice says something similar, but instead of saying it to Jesus, who already knows his identity, the voice says it to the three disciples. This is my son, right? And then at the crucifixion, we also have the statement said, surely this was God, right? So these three kind of tent poles in Mark. This is a very important part of Mark right here in the middle. And we learn a lot about Jesus' identity here, right? It's a reaffirmation of his identity as God's son, as the beloved, as the chosen one of God. It affirms his place in the religious and historical timeline of Judaism because you have Moses and you have Elijah, you have the law, you have the prophets and the Messiah all meeting and talking together, this continuity, this through line throughout all of Scripture. And it also demonstrates the singular importance of who this person is, right? This is my son. Listen to him. And all those will be worthy of us considering and talking about, and certainly we have in years past. But this year, as I was looking at this, it struck me that there's something about this scene that feels like it's really more for the disciples than anything else, like those disciples there at that moment, right? For these three disciples, and only them, right? Jesus says, don't tell anyone else, at least till after everything is said and done. For only these three disciples, they're given this transcendent moment, this kind of moment of awe, this thing that helps to kind of wake them up and shake them loose from life as usual. 
And they have this amazing scene. And, and we kind of read these things in the Bible. We don't think much about it. But put yourself in that place, right? These bright lights, a glowing Jesus before them. Apparitions of heroes of old. Clouds, voices from heaven. This is good stuff, right? I don't know about you, but I find myself being very jealous of the disciples in stories like this in scriptures. Because don't you, like me, feel like if you could just experience something like that, faith would just be a little bit easier, right? Just one voice from heaven, then I could really believe, right? Just one little miracle or maybe a healing or an exorcism in front of me, not my own hopefully, but someone's exorcism in front of me, and then I could be on that clear and easy path to sainthood. It would make it so much easier if you just had one of these kind of breathtaking moments. Because if you don't have something like this to open your eyes like that, to kind of force them open, it's so easy just to lose the days, right? The miracles become the mundane in our lives. I know this is true for me, right? The children I hoped and prayed for and kept fighting for and asking for are now just fighting with each other and every day asking for more food. Like every day. Three times a day, right? The kind of church I've always dreamed of being a part of expects a totally different sermon each week, like every week. Can you imagine? The stuff that we dream of, what was the stuff of those dreams, can become the tedium of every day, right? They just become life. And so you have a scene like this. You have moments like this. And this particular moment where Jesus seems to give a gift to these disciples, a moment of pure awe, something that they can't contain, they can't understand, they babble away at the mouth, not even knowing what they're saying when it happens, right? This pure awe, this transcendence that shakes them free from their normal days, where all the colors are brighter and the air is kind of magic, a moment where everything and everyone buzzes with meaning and mystery, a breathtaking experience for them. And while you've probably never gone to a mountain and seen Jesus himself transfigure, if so, talk to me afterwards, you've had these kind of moments in one way or another, right? I have. Maybe not exactly like that one again, but you've had them. Where everything felt imbued with meaning and things just kind of cleared up for a moment. And what I love here is how these disciples in this transcendent moment act a lot like we all do whenever we have these kind of moments too, right? When we encounter something big, sometimes frightening, sometimes amazing, sometimes all of the above, we encounter something too big, too important to miss, something we can't quite contain, and we flounder. We lose our minds a little bit. We as humans don't seem made to balance like abject fear in something that's so out of control we don't know what to do with it. We have these things we want to run away and we also want to capture it in some way, right? We're scared and we're excited and we're confused and we're babbling away. We want to run away, but we also want to camp there. All these things happen at once in these moments, right? You finally arrive at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You've dreamed of seeing it your entire life. And then you get to the edge and you find yourself stepping back away because it feels a little unsafe. But you also find yourself pulling out your phone because you want to capture the moment of immensity before you. You lean in and you run away 
at the same time. And of course, those couple of steps back, you're really not any safer in the world than you were before. And of course, the pictures are going to look terrible later on when you try to look at them because you can't capture that moment. None of it actually makes real sense. None of it actually accomplishes anything. But this is what happens when you encounter kind of transcendence, something bigger than you. The fear and the attempts to capture it seem to make sense in the moment, but that's because transcendence is disorienting. I think it's what we like least about it. I think it's why I would argue we are so effective at trying to avoid awe and transcendence in our lives. Why does it take a glowing Jesus? Why does it take voices from the clouds or the appearance of the people of old? Why does it take something so big and momentous to trigger awe within us? I mean, think for a moment about what it is that strikes these disciples so hard in this scene, right? Again, a bright light, apparitions of Moses and Elijah. And the fun question we talked about this morning in the Sunday school class I was in is, how do you know it's Moses and Elijah? Are they wearing name tags? Does Jesus say, oh, nice to hear from you, Elijah, and then wink at the disciples so they know? I don't know. There's a voice from heaven, all these great things. It's all very cool, very trippy, but also consider something else about these disciples. They've already been spending every day with God incarnate. God incarnate. God with flesh on, right? I'd argue they've been spending their days with a more awe-inspiring reality than smoke and ghosts, right? God in the flesh. They've seen miracles happen already. And I almost think that's kind of the role that God's voice plays at the end of the story, right? what God is trying to accomplish and what he says to the disciples who are now just caught off guard and really caught up in this moment and wanting to build tents there as, uh, as, again, we do try to capture these things. It's like God snaps his fingers to remind them of the, j- of the daily transcendence they've already been a part of. Hey, 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 this is my son. The guy you've been hanging out with, the guy you've spent every day with, that's my son, that's my beloved. Listen to him. Jesus is more impressive than a light show and talking to the patriarchs. They're just used to him already. He's become part of their everyday existence. They need something like this to shake them out of it, right? And I would argue this is our same obstacle that we face. Our biggest obstacle to the awe and transcendence that I think we all wish to experience on some level is that we can get accustomed to just about anything. We're great at it. We can get accustomed to almost anything. Like, zoom out for a moment. You are one single human being. From this world's long history, you are currently living on a space rock. That space rock is hurtling through an infinite amount of universes and stars and planets that we can't possibly wrap our minds around. A universe that some argue is still expanding. I don't know about you, but I don't think about that at all. That's happening right now. I just don't think about it. Zoom in. Everything around you is made of these chaotic particles bouncing off of each other. These particles that you can't even see right now. And even when we do have the technology to get in and examine those particles, we realize a disturbing truth. And I'm just taking other people's words for it because I'm not smart enough to know this stuff. 
But when we zoom in and look at it, you put it up underneath a microscope, you look down in it, we don't even know exactly what it is that these, these particles are floating within. The stuff that kind of holds everything together, the dark matter or whatever, we don't even know what it is. All of life is held together by some kind of invisible glue that keeps everything from flying apart in all different directions, and we don't hardly have anything but a weird name for it. In the grand scheme of things, we know next to nothing. I should spend all day with my mouth agape from the fantastic mysteries around me, yet somehow I don't. They've all become common as possible to me. I can get accustomed to just about anything. I've got, all the, I've got access to all the world's books, movies, and songs in my pocket right now. It's on a phone that has no cord. <laughs> that's a weird thing. For me as a kid, that's a mind-blowing thing. It's on a phone that has no cord and pulls the information out of the air like magic. And I act like that makes sense somehow. That would never stop blowing the mind of a pub the pubescent mind of a 13-year-old Mike Dixon. It would be wizardry. And yet, right now, if I pulled it up and tried to play a song for you and it didn't work in about two seconds flat, I'd be annoyed at the universe. Because I can get accustomed to just about anything. I can make anything commonplace. The truth is, the world is crackling all around us with mystery and awe all the time. We just don't see it. In reality, we have no right not to be mystified or awestruck all the time. We just don't want to do that. All that transcendence scares us. I remember, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the, uh, of the movie right now, but I remember the movie had uh, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney where they're in space and then they're just kind of floating off on their own. What was it called? Gravity. Y'all ever see that movie? I saw it on, on IMAX. Only see it um, if you don't want to sleep for a while. Because it's just two people floating off into the vast darkness, basically. Untethered. What could be more terrifying than something that out of control? Right? We don't want to be awestruck at all times because that kind of transcendence, on some level, scares us. The unknown is disorienting. So we give it names and we act like it's not a big deal. But the truth is that the only reason we aren't in awe is because we aren't really paying attention. You don't need a glowing Jesus to have your breath taken away. And so I think the story of transfiguration is something important for us. For those of us with uneasy hearts and disoriented minds, especially when things start to get out of control for us. An important message, and that message is, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. I love that that's how the transfiguration ends, with that voice, with everything else fading away, and just that voice. In other words, do not be afraid of the mystery, of the transcendent unknowing of it all. 
We have no need to be scared because we have something, more specifically, someone to orient us. We are never completely untethered. So even when we do encounter that which we cannot fool ourselves into thinking we can control or understand in some ways, when we are anxious about all that we can't name and we can't categorize, when the mountain shakes and we can't find the words, when everything is moving too quickly, stop. Remember. Listen to him. Order it and orient it all towards him. The one who made it all in the first place. Because it's true, we ultimately know very little. But we can know this. This is my son, the beloved. You can just listen to him. All right, let's pray. God, we are grateful that you are a God who did not just create a world in this infinite universe and spin it off into existence and walk away. That you are not a God who just left us little human beings to try and figure it all out for ourselves. That you are a God who took flesh and blood and dwelt among us. That you are a God who walked this world with us. That you are a God who lived and taught and died and rose again from the dead so that we might have something to hold on to, that we might be able to turn our ears and eyes towards something, someone, in the midst of it all. God, may we occupy that space that these disciples find themselves in. May we lean into the awe and the mystery of it all. May we let go of the need to try and control or define everything. And may we not be afraid. May we know this one thing, if nothing else. That that is your son, your beloved. And we can listen to him. God, we do thank you. We love you. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.